Uh, so good morning. Uh, you do all get extra Jesus points uh, for being here the day after Christmas uh, and not going to hear Bud. Um, incidentally, let's pray for Bud, shall we? Uh, Father, we do lift up Bud to you uh, as he's preaching his first sermon this morning. Uh, and I know he's very nervous, uh, but would you fill him with your spirit? Would you give him a great sense of confidence uh, without being arrogant? Uh, remind him uh, that he speaks as your servant. Uh, and I pray that as he speaks, it would be helpful, uh, it would be uh, powerful, uh, and it would reinforce many of the things uh, that I know they've been talking about over the last few weeks uh, at Trinity. Uh, bless him and continue to make him a blessing in his work. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, what we're doing today is coming to the end of a series that we've been in called The Worthy One, and we're going to go a little bit of a different direction. Uh, incidentally, as a reward for you coming on the day after Christmas, you're not going to get a sermon. You're going to get a meditation. That's code for shorter. Okay? So I want you to remember that when it comes time for Pastor Appreciation Month or whatever it is that we do or don't do, actually, around here. Um, but no, in all seriousness, uh, we wanted to do a, an abbreviated service, but a service nonetheless, uh, to obviously honor that today is the Lord's Day, but also to say, get on with your feasting. Get on with your celebrating, okay? Um, but we have been in this series throughout the season of Advent called The Worthy One, and what I want to do today is talk from maybe a place that you weren't expecting about the worthiness of Jesus and the result or the fruit uh, of Jesus being the worthy one, the fruit of Christmas. We're officially in the 12 days of Christmas, uh, not the song, uh, which has been popularized over history, but this is historically the period between Christmas Day and Epiphany. And I know Drew did a, a, a video kind of explaining Epiphany, or at least I think he did, and talking about our service that's coming next week, which will arrive quickly. But we do want to encourage you to come out to that uh, uh, next Thursday, not this coming Thursday, but the following. Uh, as we finish the 12 days of Christmas, the season is called Christmas Tide. And unfortunately, it, through the commercialization of Christmas, it's made us think that Christmas time. Uh, begins in November, or better yet, right after Halloween, <laughs> and runs through Christmas Day, and then it's done, right? The sales begin, and the, the New Year's Eve stuff starts to come out, and then a few days go by, and we put the decorations back in the attic. But the church has always marked time differently and continues to. It's part of the reason why we change the table runner up here. It's part of the reason we honor the, the, the church calendar and the church year. We do this weird thing with the candles every year through Advent. We're trying to mark time differently. Uh, the season of Advent is a time of waiting and longing and expectation. And yesterday, the day finally arrived. We talked about this Friday night. We're in this, like, he's here we, 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 uh, we sing by candlelight, we, we long for, and we're not in a tradition that does this, but many of you have heard of or maybe grew up in church traditions where you had a midnight mass. You're, you're, you're sort of celebrating the turning of the clock to Christmas Day, and there's a significance there. Uh, Jesus has come, he's here, as we sang, or excuse me, as we, as we heard the other night, and you know, I know Santa came too, right? Big deal. But Jesus has come, 
That's the big deal. Okay? And so I want to spend a few minutes meditating on this fruit of Christmas. And I know your familiarity with the 12 days of Christmas may begin and end with a partridge and piper's piping, and that's about it. Okay? But these 12 days are actually feast days in the history of the church and in the calendar of the church. So I want you to continue your celebrations, eat, drink, and be merry because Jesus the King has come. That's the reason the church has done it. Today is uh, the feast of St. Stephen. Uh, And St. Stephen, as we're going to read here in just a moment, was the first martyr of the Christian faith. He was also one of the first deacons of the church in the first century. His life is worth commemorating. It's worth celebrating. Uh, In England and in other places associated with the Commonwealth of uh, the United Kingdom, what they would do historically on Christmas Day is they'd have a box in the church, and as people would come to worship on Christmas Day, they would drop money in that box for the poor, but also for those that served them throughout the year. Think your male person, think your milk person. Uh, And the next day, the 26th, was called Boxing Day. And it was where they would box, they, they would box up the money, and then they would distribute that money. Okay? Uh, today in the UK, it's not the day of after Christmas sales. It's the day of nothing. Literally everything's closed. Well, except the stadiums where they uh, celebrate around the little round ball that they kick on the grass. It's a big day for soccer in the UK. Uh, but it's not a big day for uh, commercializing, uh, for, for uh, commerce and shops and so forth like it is in America. But this is a significant day. I say all that to say it's a significant day in the life of the church. So I'm going to read from uh, Acts chapter 7, just these uh, six verses here at the end of the chapter. So you can follow along uh, on the insert in your worship folder uh, or uh, in the Bible, in the pew of the Bible you brought from home. This is God's word. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Here's the thing. Without Christmas, martyrdom makes no sense. Because if he's not the worthy one, in fact, the worthiest one, then giving your life for him is the silliest thing that can be done. If Jesus isn't real, if Jesus isn't king, if Jesus isn't making all things new, he's certainly not worth giving your life for. And I would submit to you, martyrdom is the fruit of Christmas. Not the only fruit, for sure. Without Christmas, without Jesus, it just doesn't make any sense. And so, on the day of the Feast of St. Stephen, and when you leave here, and whatever meal you have the rest of today, feast in honor of him. Which I know might be counterintuitive. We've just got finished celebrating Christmas. Telling me to forget Jesus? No, I'm telling you to commemorate the life, honor the life, of a man who was so committed to Jesus, who was so in love with him, 
who had been so impacted by his life and death that he would give his life in service for him, okay? So we're going to spend a few minutes looking at uh, Acts chapter 7. Sorry, there's no notes here, so it's just free form for you. You can draw, you can write one word, you can do whatever you want. But here's the first thing. When they heard these things, well, what's the context? Acts chapter 7 is uh, the record of Stephen's sermon. And they're in Jerusalem. He's preaching to the Jews. And he sums up the entire Old Testament by saying the temple, that is where you meet God, the place that you experience God, is no longer a place but a person. The person is Jesus himself. He says, Jesus Christ is the temple. Only in him do you get access to God, just like in the temple. He's the bridge between humanity and God. Some of you have heard it said that way. He's where you go to find God. His work makes it possible for sinful, unclean people like us to approach a holy and righteous God. When they heard those things, they were enraged. It's really sobering to hear the response of the Jews. Now, he might have offended them a few uh, verses up there where he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not, you know. I mean, if I stood up here and said, you stiff-necked people, always resisting the Holy Spirit, you uncircumcised, you know, I mean, you're probably not going to pat me on the back on the way out today, right? So he was clearly getting in there chilly, as we say. Right? He was, he, was, he was starting to really offend them. But the reason he was starting to offend them, the reason the whole sermon offended them, is because he told them the temple is not the place. Jesus is the place. He not only says that, but he says Jesus came to fulfill the law. He lived a life of beautiful love. He lived a life where he loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength and loved his neighbor as himself. He obeyed every part of the law. And the Jews hated him for saying that too. They said, no, no, we we can keep the law. God gave us the law of Moses to keep it, to do it. And we prove ourselves by doing that. And Stephen says, no, that's not how it works. He says, Jesus fulfilled the law by keeping it, but Jesus also fulfilled the law by paying its penalty. For those who are disobedient, when you believe, when you trust in Jesus for salvation as he's offered to you in the gospel, he takes your disobedience to the law, he satisfies it with his death on the cross as your substitute, but doesn't stop there, right? He also gives you his record of law keeping. It now becomes your record. So now when God looks at you in Christ, he sees Jesus. Jesus gets counted as a lawbreaker which he didn't deserve, and we get counted as law keepers, which we don't deserve. Salvation is all of grace. He's so worthy because he's done that work for us who didn't want it, didn't think we needed it, and many times we scheme and plot and live our lives in such a way to work against it. He says, salvation is all of grace. And this news is not only massively offensive to those people, it's massively offensive to our culture as well because, as we know, our Western culture, popular culture, 
values self-actualization above all else. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean I define myself. No one else does. I mean that I make and create the categories of reality and everyone else must fit into them as I've formulated them. We've talked about this uh, over the last year for sure, drilling down into it again and again. Furthermore, you must tolerate me, you must embrace me, and nothing but acceptance and non-judgmental validation will do. Thank you very much. The gospel confronts that head on. It says, no, no, you don't define you. God defines you. Because he designed you. But you're broken, the gospel also says, because self-rule ends in self-destruction. You don't just need help, you need rescue. The gospel declares our inability, it highlights our weakness. It says Jesus Christ came for sinners. His very name means salvation, which is why the angel told Joseph he would save his people from their sins. And Joseph named the child Jesus as he was told to. Now, watch the result, okay? So when they heard these things, verse 54, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit. Now, this goes back, you got to go all the way back to chapter 6, where they pick the uh, first deacons. uh, And the word of God continues to increase. And uh, Stephen is one of those. He's a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. That's all the way back in 6. And then, again, full of grace and power. Uh, he's, He's clearly set apart. Uh, And as he's speaking uh, in the uh, temple before the council, they said his face was like the face of an angel. So Luke is really setting us up here for something amazing that's about to happen. And he gazes into heaven and he sees the glory of God and he sees Jesus. And he says out loud, as these people are grinding their teeth at him and coming at him, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Watch what happens. These people become so enraged, they move to organize an execution. But watch the stunning way that this man dies. How he suffers. And it's only the one, this worthy one, Jesus himself we've been reflecting on all Advent, only the one can prepare you for suffering because only he is worth suffering for. Only he has suffered in a way to free us to truly suffer. Christmas makes martyrs. Because the baby born in Bethlehem is the Lamb of God. Because Jesus came in the flesh to live the life we should have lived and died the death we deserved to die. So wherever and however you and I are being called to die, we know that we are following Jesus into death and that resurrection will follow, all initiated by Christmas. Because of what Stephen sees, those watching him see something beautiful. That's where we're going to end. What does he see? Well, when Stephen looked around, all he could see were the raging people ready to condemn him to death. But watch this. When he looks into heaven, what does he see? He sees his advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, standing before the Father to commend him. So the people are rushing at him to condemn him. He looks into heaven and sees the one who is commending him. So when the court of public opinion is ready to kill him, he turns to the heavenly court, the court that really matters. And there he sees Jesus interceding and pleading his blood. And that sight allows him to be calm and composed 
even as he's being thrown out of the city to die. Christmas is the proof God is for us. Incidentally, you know uh, Hebrews at the very end of, of, uh, of the book says that Jesus was killed outside the city too. On, on the trash heap, actually. So at least these people were honoring of Jerusalem and the holiness of the ground enough to not murder this man in its city limits. They did it outside. The crowd sees a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit crying out to Jesus to receive him and whose last words were a plea for forgiveness for his killers. And Luke then says that he fell asleep, peaceful, but exhausted, composed, but weak. And it was fitting that he would die that way. Suffering isn't easy. No one's saying that. No one pretends that that's the case. But Stephen looks forward to awaking refreshed in the presence of Jesus. And as the crowd is watching, they see a man who loved Jesus more than anything else in this world die in the same way that he did. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And for you and I, as that sight Stephen describes comes more and more into focus, as Christmas and the fruit of it bear more and more reality in our lives, our lives will be able to take on more of a sense of security and peace, the peace of the Prince of Peace, a joy that's unshakable, some of the things we've been talking about all Advent, a faith that moves mountains, a willingness to suffer as we follow the suffering servant. Listen, Jesus is supremely beautiful and supremely valuable, and his coming at Christmas makes it possible for us to become suffering servants just like him, just like Stephen. And the fruit of that work will be love and beauty and goodness and truth flowing out through our lives. Secured in his love, we can be free to die. But just the seed that just as the seed that falls to the ground and dies bears much fruit, we too become fruitful in service to the king. I told you this is going to be a meditation. So come let us adore him as we sang. He's the only one worthy of dying for. Come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, you indeed are the most worthy, the most valuable, the most supremely beautiful and stunning in how you came the God who flung galaxies into existence, make, making himself small to the way that you grew up, to the way that you ministered and lived among us, the way that you were so incredibly approachable, so incredibly attractive to those who knew that they didn't know, to those who knew that they needed rescue, to those who knew they needed something they couldn't provide for themselves. Oh, Father, make us like that. Make us those who uh, have low opinions of our opinions, but very high opinions of yours, such that we would, like Stephen, own you to the degree that whatever you ask us to do, even to the point of death, whether it's physical death, which for most of us isn't really a threat, but there are thousands of other types of deaths that we can endure day in and day out and beautiful works of love might result as the fruit. And so we pray that that would increasingly be so in our lives individually 
in our lives as families, in our lives as friends, and as a church as we witness to your worth in this city and beyond. And we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. I guess they're clapping for me, Terry. I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, thank you for being here. Uh, take these words and continue to cement the truth of the gospel down into your heart with these words. This is why we say them at the end. It's the last thing that you take in as you go into the week uh, to whatever it is that God has for you, okay? Um, feast and enjoy uh, the next 12 days. Uh, may they be a time where you live intentionally out of the truth of Christmas and on in to the rest of the year. So receive these words. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.